In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. in discussion. My guests today are Pastor Michel Morissette. When he was 19, Michel Morissette organized a weekly meeting of friends and family to discuss the issues in Haiti, in particular loathing the anti-education sentiment so prevalent at that time. As they gathered in a backyard every Thursday evening to discuss God and life, they started to attract neighbors who leaned on the fence to listen, and eventually this informal meeting became a congregation. At that time, unauthorized gatherings of over 20 people meant serious trouble with the then government for those leaders involved. Eventually, Michel's older brother persuaded him to travel to Port-au-Prince to study and become ordained, solving the immediate threat of continuing what he recognized as his calling. And the current school today has well over 1,500 students. Pastor Michel Morissette joins me on his journey to Canada. My other guest today is Kurt Zastro, co-founder of the Children's Heritage Organization and the investigative journalist Pat O'Brien. Pastor Michel Morissette, Kurt Zastro, Pat O'Brien, welcome to In Discussion today. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, David. It's always good to be here. Kurt, uh, thank you again for joining us. I understand that you have hosted Pastor Morissette recently. Can you give uh, us and our audience a overview of the events that have taken place recently in regards to that hosting, what the latest information is on the situation in Haiti? Yes, I think I think with all the things that have happened in Haiti and the tragedies that have beset the country, it seems like one after another has decimated things there. And with the Children's Heritage Organization, what we look to do is we like to impact as many kids in the country as we can. We originally looked at all the orphanages there. How can we help the orphanages there? And we began to learn that one of the keys was land, that people needed housing. But the land records were gone because the only place land records existed was in Port-au-Prince because it's such a centrist uh, government that if you want birth and death records, you're going to Port-au-Prince. You want a driver's license from anywhere, you've got to go to Port-au-Prince. And so everything flows out of that. And the unfortunate thing about that is, is once those things are gone from there, it decimates the whole country. Pastor Morissette, I had a conversation with him about uh, Ebenezer Mission that he started 
when he was 19 years old with uh, several foster kids, 20 foster kids uh, who had no place to go, and he started with them, and he's raised hundreds of foster kids through the years and taught those kids to raise kids as well. And so it's an incredible sociological development for this generation. We often run to say, well, orphanages, you know, we need more orphanages for these kids. That's true. God bless everyone out there who's with orphanages or who's given to orphanages or go to feed these kids. What Pastor Morissette really wanted to do with this is he wanted to build a a self-respect into the children and the people themselves so that they could stand on their own two feet and they could begin to do things as well. And so a lot of his foster kids now have raising foster kids. And, you know, uh, there's a Pastor Joshua over there that helps him who has 13 foster kids. Pastor Michelle has 23 right now himself. And so that's enough for an orphanage. But, you see, they, they've done that with no outside help. They've done that themselves. And one of the things that he said to me while he was here is he said, we've been taught, even from the French, we were delivered from them on a piece of paper, but not in our minds, that we were still basically there and subservient to them from a mindset, and that we could no longer attain anything unless somehow we came to their equality of things, and they were always mysterious to us. And he said, you know, what he's trying to do is, is let people know that we've got something to offer and that Haitians should learn to love Haiti and who they are. And once they can begin to do some of that, then they have the ability and the confidence and the courage to move forward in building and doing some of these things themselves. This is obviously the history of Haiti. We see that it was colonized and has been colonized. You can certainly consider that it's been colonized for hundreds of years. How do they look at it now? Do they see it still as being colonized only by America or other countries? Are they still feeling very restricted in their everyday lives, in their culture? Is that still a problem that they have to overcome over there as much as we in countries like America need to overcome and need to give them full independence? We do, and and I think Pastor Michelle would put it this way, and he explained it to me, and it made sense. He said, the United States is our mother. They raised us as children when we didn't know what to do, and we became rebellious teenagers. We rebelled and made many mistakes and ran out, and, and Haiti is nothing but a money pit and a rat hole. He said, we're coming now, having made many mistakes coming now to America saying, please, we've matured some. We've been humbled. We're more teachable. We've made many mistakes. Would you come and show us how to be self-sustainable, not just give us aid, but show us how to be good adults in a good country? That is an incredible position to take, is it not? Because that is truly a position of taking joint responsibility for where they're at. But it depends, does it not, 
on the assistance, on the makeup of that assistance that they get from a country like America, that assistance and that support has to be free of the corporate mansion that operate like many other countries and over the last hundreds of years where countries like Haiti have been gouged of their resources and very manipulated how do they see that paradigm taking place now how, how do they see that support taking place so that it goes from that money pit that you talk about to being truly a self-sustaining society well, I think one of the things that Pastor Morissette has called for, and, and he's not alone in it, but he's been around and he's done things, and 70% of Haiti would call itself Christian. Now, that's huge. He said that's largely because many missionaries and people have come over from America. He said it's no longer uh, what it was. And so what he's done is many of the missionaries and people have come over and shown them how to be self-sustaining apart and aside from the government. There are many areas that you don't hear about in Haiti, uh, in Capetia and many other places, that have incredible thriving compounds because the, the Haitians were taught to do it themselves, apart and aside from the government. The government doesn't exist so if the government has said hey everything needs to come to us and we'll provide for you and the people depend on that it will cripple the economic development of that country even more so what he has done is he has gone through the pastors over 2,600 pastors throughout the country different denominations galvanized them to a point because 70% of the education that happens in Haiti happens through the churches. And so even if from a sociological standpoint, even if a person has no faith, you still have to acknowledge where the education is coming from and who is teaching the children to be literate in English, Creole, and French and teaching them to read. When I was there, we had about a thousand kids. I said, you know, it would be great to teach this next generation because one of the things we do is we catalyze organizations that work with kids, take them to the next level, or find organizations that aren't really looking at kids but should be and could be. And so that's kind of what we are and what we do, and we saw the potential there. Man, you could be doing this. I, I happen to work with the largest Sunday school in the country, which runs probably close to 26,000 kids a week in the middle of the ghetto. So I know what can be done where people say it's hopeless. Now, may I ask you there, however, with all that said, is there a need to return back to cultures, and types of agriculture and trades, ways of life that Haiti had before they were colonized, or are they looking further beyond that to completely different ways of life, completely different ways of sustaining themselves? How do they view that? I can't speak for them 100%, because, again, I'm not Haitian. And part of the the things that we tend to do is put Haitian thoughts, our thoughts in Haitian minds, and say it's, it's their thoughts. And I don't want to speak for them, but, but from just being around Pastor Michelle, 
they're looking not only to do agriculture, but one of the things he talked about was developing the professionals in the country, allowing some Americans and others to come and, let's see, like at a club indigo, holding something for lawyers. How do we become better lawyers? How do we become ethical lawyers? How do we come, become lawyers that actually abide and stand by the law? How do we become better doctors? So looking through, from his standpoint, a church structure, it, it reaches out to every area. Obviously, some agrarian development can be there. And, and obviously, if you're going to decentralize and, and tend to move people out, that there needs to be some of that. But it makes sense because some of the people now are just saying, well, give us more food. Well, if, if they could be taught to grow their own food and do that, it would help sustain them. Because Haiti can only sustain about 40% of what it needs to survive right now. What do people think over there about the lack of support from the developed nations. It's clear in months since the earthquake that there hasn't been the call to action that one would expect in this situation. Do they feel betrayed by that or concerned that they are just being left to overcome this on their own at this stage? I think, yeah, I think many feel betrayed, but then again, they've been betrayed so many times it's just the same old thing. And, and you get a, an underlying current of anger to, with some of them, yet the, the verve and faith of the Haitian spirit is some of the strongest in the Caribbean. If I can add to that, David, uh, part of the information that we're finding, uh, this is Pat O'Brien, part of the information that we're finding is that uh, a lot of the money that was promised to Haiti has been held up primarily because of the elections, which are uh, to be held on the 28th of this month. There is a, a force in Haiti uh, that is kind of uh, similar to what we would call our, our mafia, that is running the, the government of Haiti. Uh, they Right now, Preval is the president. His son is uh, running for office and looks like he may be the person to win. And at the same time, um, as that is happening, he just recently married into one of these mafias, if you will. Um, and a, a lot of concern from our government, the UN, and through the contacts that I have, uh, are telling us that until this gets resolved of who's going to be in charge, the money is not going to be forthcoming. And even if, if Preval comes in, uh, there is an issue that is going to happen, and it already seems to be starting to happen, where there could be a great deal more violence. Um, there were protests yesterday. Uh, the protests uh, spread through the capital of Port-au-Prince. Uh, there are people literally dying in the streets as we speak. Plus, they're also dealing, of course, with the cholera epidemic that is uh, taking uh, many, many lives there. So, beside having the, the earthquake and the promise of, of food and help, uh, the NGOs that went down there to uh, help that have now left when the press left, the money that's less than 5% of what was promised at the time the fundraisers were going for the Haitian people, all of these things have built up to where there could be serious violence with the election with a cholera epidemic, 
and again with who is going to be in office at the end of uh, November 28th. Let me ask you a question there, Pat O'Brien, because you are very close to this and you have uh, a lot of information about the current situation. That is clearly indicative of this paralysis that exists between America and Haiti. And this is partly, I'm assuming, why huge donations that were collected earlier in the year have been held up because of this conflict with that government entity that may continue to be as corrupt, perhaps, as it has been before. So you can see that paralysis and why it's occurring. What is it, though, that has to break that deadlock now? It seems to me that perhaps less intervention by the developed countries and more heroes that are coming out, such as Pastor Michel and the young people that he's mentoring, is probably the way to overcome this. And part of this, as you know, we're going into an evolutionary process in this world. Things are going to change. Fiscal things in the system are going to change. Many things are going to change in our society across the board. And it may be that we have to look at the people of Haiti now to become the heroes for themselves in order to steer this new administration in the right direction and to uh, somehow eradicate the possible corruption that could continue. Would you see that uh, as being a sensible statement in in the way forward? Absolutely. I I think, you know, Pastor Morris is going to be with us in in just a moment. We're waiting for him uh, to come uh, on with us now. And I know that he has a plan uh, to be able to do exactly that, David, which I know he'll want to explain. Uh, but again, part of what you are saying is exactly what's been happening. And, and part of what Pastor Morris said had related to me in an earlier conversation. The Haitian people must stand on their loan. Um, this complex, we didn't identify where it is. It's, it's actually north of uh, the major destruction of, the, uh, of Haiti. Uh, it's up in the Ganavis. Uh, in north of where the serious devastation was, although they had a great deal of devastation where they were at. Um, but part of what has happened here is that uh, the without a cohesive plan in play to almost separate themselves from the Haitian government, the support that they need is probably not forthcoming. Let me ask you, Kurt Z. Being based over here and looking at this wider picture, I do understand that Pastor Michelle is clearly traveling now, traveling to countries like Canada to raise support. Is there in some ways a complication along that road where the the more support that you gain from countries outside of this immediate culture and country the more compromise that is going to occur, particularly if that contribution is corporate-led, is that not a possible danger that could lead to even further problems with another administration? Yes, and that's why he's not for... He only wants enough to get the seeds. He doesn't... He's not really a strong proponent of just give our people homes. 
let's get a credit union and a financial structure in place, which he happens to have, but he's looking for, for you know, money to back that. The financial situation in Haiti is very dire right now. And because in Ghanaif, where they've had two floods in 2004 and 2008, loss of over 20,000 lives, you can imagine that it stresses whatever resources they've had to loan out to people so that they can do microenterprises and things like that. He, he's not looking for people just to hand money. What he's looking for is people, would you come alongside and teach us? Because if Haiti does not decentralize, this new leader does not recognize that, that he needs to develop or she needs to develop because it looks like it could, it's pretty close between a he and a she right now, that if they would not decentralize nine of the ten districts would leave Haiti or secede and form a new country. I wonder, I'm thinking about what you're saying, and I'm wondering whether this is leading to a very different country in Haiti that we've seen before. I understand the premise that you're supplying here that... And I think it's wonderful because essentially Pastor Michelle is saying, you know, let's get the investment, but let's have more sweat equity and talent rather than just money. How does that work, however, with the paradigm of the administration that's going to come up. I would be correct in saying that there has always been a lot of corruption, but how are you going to dissolve that and turn this approach from what Pastor Michelle is doing by bringing in that talent from abroad, but also diffusing any situation that you have in Haiti that is going to compromise that talent? Well, I think part of what he... It, it, it is in, in itself, I would kind of liken it in some ways to what Martin Luther King Jr. did here in the United States with the civil rights. He's looking for freedom for people that are held in bondage without in the process. It's a Haiti where people are, are independent and they they can survive and thrive that in the next 20 years the with with some of the infusion of the money see i think if they see a good plan where the people can prosper and it isn't just coffered away or put away with some person's pocket or some politician's pocket on a pet project or just used to rebuild port-au-prince that it is given out equitably and is shared so that the whole country can come up and prosper. And I think what Pastor Morris said in some of our conversations, we've had several senators and people in our groups and in our meetings. He's saying, "Show us how to be, show us how to be honest politicians. Show us how to be people who, who have integrity, and show us how to be good leaders. If we would secede." Who has the leadership to fill that gap? That's where the child is coming back and saying to the parent, we need some of your expertise. We need some of your people to teach our university students how to do those things and to be those things. We're looking at then uh, this amazing man, Pastor Michelle Morissette, who is working very hard on the children, on the next generation. 
And it seems to me that he is trying to build up the next generation in preparation for a new Haiti. That new Haiti that we're looking at, does this mean, therefore, that it has to uh, exclude a lot of the support from America moving forward because of the obstacles in the way? Or do you think that American, America can still be a very strong part in this rebuilding? I'm not 100% sure on that, um, the U.S. pressure on that. I know there's pressure on them that we're not going to release money without good plans. And and if if we see corruption as the way that it's going, I'm I'm assuming the United States and in, in listening to the Senate Senate subcommittee on on international relations, they're frustrated, and many people are frustrated, and I think people haven't heard some of the stories of the people who have taken no money but done something in Haiti with the Haitian people with their resolve. And I'm not sure that that the government knows those people exist. It's it's just been dealing with the leaders, and the leaders right now are quashing the the story of the cholera on what's taking place. Pastor Morissette, uh, welcome to In Discussion. Clearly, uh, you have an amazing vision for these children and their education and their future and this as really being the heroes that will take Haiti towards another paradigm and a further evolution. How are you being uh, received in America and Canada and how are people receiving your ideas at this stage when Haiti is in such an awful situation? You know, Pat, I, I am very, very encouraged by the people I have met in the United States and in in Canada. Of course, it's not the first time, you know, I've been traveling in the name of my people. But every time I come, I realize one thing. It takes a Haitian to represent Haiti. And uh, I think the uh, greatest contribution your country has made to Haiti is uh, by sending those uh, workers, those missionaries who went down there and who trained Haitians. Those who went trying to do it in their place, they failed. But those who reproduced themselves in Haitians there and they left, those people are the ones now, Christian communities all over the place, all over Haiti. And now, if I am talking about a network of different things, network in different areas of life, it's because of the contribution those people made. And now I can even speak for myself in English, communicate in English, because somebody taught me English. It's not everybody, every pastor you find down there who is so fortunate. Those who didn't have a chance to run across somebody who gave them that kind of hand when we know that education is the parent of all professions, those people, they are out there, they don't know where to go, they, they, they cannot uh, tell between their left hand and their right hand, and it is difficult. Here you are with a people too strong not to be free, but too weak intellectually to stay independent. 
I think this is a question that I had placed before Pastor Morissette. Uh, I don't remember completely the way that I stated it, but it seems to be clearly a, a challenge uh, to disable an administration that you have in Haiti that uh, have been somewhat corrupt and somewhat disorganized for many years and, and paralyzed possibly because of the colonization uh, platform that they found themselves in for so many years. And then on the other side of that, there is obviously the fear of developed countries from becoming involved until that administration can become more organized. How do you see that working and how do you see the generation now that you're mentoring, that you're helping to be able to overcome this so that the administration in Haiti can see the light, steer away from the darkness and, and create a truly democratic process there? Well, uh, as a pastor, maybe even if I wasn't a pastor, now politicians in Haiti, they would say the same thing. I think uh, the church has failed us. The church came and uh, they trained us, and it's like the kind of gospel they brought us. It was like we were going to, de to die, everybody, every Christian was going to die the, same, the next day, next day after they got saved. They didn't train us to live. They train us for death. Oh, if you died today, you would go to heaven. But now here I am. I was uh, 15 years old when I got converted, when I got saved from voodoo. And now I am 61. I am still alive. Did they show me how to, to live that Christian life? And so that's the problem we're facing right now. You know, we're finding a bunch of people, you know, they are in voodoo. They don't have any conscience at all. In fact, voodoo teaches you how to, to be stronger than the other and to crush his head, you know, to... The more you can kill, you know, the stronger you feel you are and the, the, you, you're proud of yourself. That's the, uh, the, the religion voodoo is. And now, you know, those people, most of them, you know, they just came out of voodoo in, into that palace, into whatever they're doing. They are still in voodoo while they are in that in position. What could you expect from them? But when you find those people in the churches, you know, they've been trained differently. No, you got to love. You, you know, you, that's when you, you can be proud of yourself after you have helped somebody and you know you have brought life to someone. Uh, those people who know that, the, their problem is, you know, they were trained just with the basics, how to read a little, uh, uh, from a little song, songbook, how to read the Bible, but uh, to really understand the Bible, uh, what they're reading, is a challenge. And now you get a people who are not educated. Over 65% of the population cannot read, cannot write. And when you take that, uh, among those people you find the leaders, some leaders, a lot of the leaders in the pulpit who cannot read, who cannot write. How, what can you expect? And then uh, uh, we need now, I think, to take the gospel or missions to a different level. People need to go down there to train leaders because I think the country is evangelized. The country, you find the people, you know, they want to do well, they want to, to, to live in their country, 
even those who came overseas, a lot of them are homesick. They would like to go back home. But leadership is what is lacking. So now when people go down there and they take help from Washington, from, from, from Paris, and they say, oh, a lot of millions or billions are going down there, where does, does it go? And who is going to manage those funds? That's the question. And because, you know, uh, this question is not being answered, I don't think anybody should have a quiet conscience, peace of conscience, by saying that, oh, I know my taxes went down there. What we need to ask ourselves, would God expect those people to be the stewards of your funds? So we would need some people, even people interviewing me now and people listening, we would need somebody to go down there on a fact-finding tour like Mr. Uh, the Reverend Kurt uh, Zathro went. And when he first went, he didn't uh, make any promises at all. And I didn't talk too much with him, but he was himself observing, asking questions and all that from different people until finally he got to know something about me and he saw into what degree he could, you know, work with me or support me. And now he invited me into his home. Now I got to know him. I got to know his family and all that. I think, you know, development, you know, you cannot go around relationship in development. God talked to us about discipleship. And I think that's what we have done. That's the secret of the success of Ebenezer, for example, over the years that what we have been doing. Ebenezer is all about discipleship. Let me respond to that, Pastor Morissette, understanding theology uh, in some depth and and understanding the the Christian religion and understanding what you're accomplishing with these children. And yes, clearly you are looking for leaders both within the country of Haiti, but you're looking for leaders externally. Essentially, what you're looking at here, I think, as we all are, is a new world, a a new evolution, everybody taking responsibility, accountability for the situation. What is the uh, emphasis, though, on creating the hub of those leaders, the, the priorities to make the leaders actually from Haiti, to make them the young people that you are mentoring now, rather than bringing people in from abroad. I understand that you need to bring in leaders with gifts in trades and in education. How are you going to arm the children that you mentor now to truly become those leaders of Haiti in the future? Well, you know, they are now the leaders of Haiti. You know, the true Haiti is not what you read in the papers about. The true Haiti is not the Haiti, you know, the press is talking all the time about. The true Haiti are the people who are underground. They are sweating. They are fighting. They are willing to lay down their lives, you know, to protect that nation and to have something they can pass on to their children. Today, you know, we're not talking about war using firearms. What we're talking about, we're talking about people, you know, equipped intellectually, people equipped spiritually to do something. And we have those people down there, people who are really making a difference, but they don't have any press. Nobody talks about them. Nobody goes down there to find them. 
and, and they are not about to make noise or to ask me, here, do you see me? I am here. Those people, they are there, but nobody knows about them. And they are there in Haiti. If Haiti is still on the map, it's because of those people. And what I'm saying, you know, the children of the world are, we, are wise. You know, we know that the planet is one planet. The world is one world. So America knows they have to have diplomatic relationships with other countries in the world. The same way, the church needs to know we cannot just say the church of Haiti or the people, uh, the Christians of Haiti, and, and to live, to, to, to stay, to live in that prison there. We need to think of other Christians around the world, learn from their experience. In fact, they, they, they didn't start with us. Others brought us the light. So we need to learn more from them, you know, how they got to where they are. And uh, they need to come also and be inspired, you know, by our faith and everything, you know, the way we have fought and found our way to where we are. And so what I'm saying here, I, I don't think people go down there to, to have that dialogue, to have that interaction. They just go and bring a few dollars, bring some food or some send millions down there also, but they don't need to know where it goes, where it lands. I think it's a, it's a crime when in the name of those poor people, we continue to make more millionaires down there. And, and even, you know, I know the UN sends people, you know, highly qualified to run the United States, but do they qualify to really make a difference in Haiti because the cultures are different. Even Mr. Clinton would go down there. He would need to sit down with the pe real people and not let all those people around him it's like a forest. They cannot see those little trees because there are so many tall trees all around him. I think people like uh, journalists like you need to go down there and find out what's really happening, not just in Port-au-Prince, because the problem is with Port-au-Prince. We need to decentralize that nation. All, everything is going to Port-au-Prince. Everybody you ask, oh, you are in Haiti, where did you go? Port-au-Prince, Pétionville. We need to change that. We need to know Port-au-Prince is one city in many in Haiti, within many in Haiti. So we need now to start turning our eyes to other cities and see what's there that could come even to the help of Port-au-Prince because right now Port-au-Prince is down to the ground. You talk about people being underground. Are they underground primarily because of the administration there, because of the fear of the administration? Well, the thing is, uh, the fear of, of the administration. But the administration wouldn't worry so much about those people because they don't think of any. They don't think anything of them. Those people, if they are still alive, from Jean Claude Duvalier and all the dictators that we have had over the years and the decades, it's because they have been wise enough not to claim power, to claim for fame, to ask for uh, recognition. So they were around, and usually politicians feel threatened when they feel, oh, maybe you're trying, you know, to take their place, to become the next president, and you're in trouble. But since those people, they are just out there, you know, training people, making a difference in the villages and the boonies where nobody cares going there, there are no good roads to take you there, and nobody knows what's happening there, they don't bother them. And, and, and but they have succeeded in training lawyers where they are at, getting people with their masters, even their doctorates, because after they get them some training that they're in Haiti, they were able to 
find universities overseas, even the uh, University of Ottawa, Regent University, Virginia College, and all those schools to receive their trainees and, and get them further tra- trained. So they have done all that for the country, but no recognition. Nobody would talk about them. And these uh, small uh, villages and, uh, 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 where you know, they are self-sufficient, they have led their people to come to the place where they can live from what they grow in their farms or from what they do in their schools and so forth. Those people who have been able to build self-sufficient communities, they are the ones I'm talking about. With... Uh Amazing individuals, of course, like Sean Penn and others who have tried their best. Where do you think that their failings lie? Uh, Sean Penn clearly was trying to clear rubble in the the port of Haiti, but had a very difficult time. Do you feel that nevertheless there were failings or there were things that individuals like Sean Penn did not look at in a closer way? Um, I think people go down there, you know, they, they are, before they go, they, the people who told them about it, you, today people, they want before they get involved to make sure there is safety before they get involved, they have to make sure that they're going to get, uh, with the right, right crowd and so forth. And the people who speak louder, they are the ones they hear. And those who don't know English and who don't have any connections, they don't know, their voices are not being heard at all. And when you talk, when you talk about them, so you're talking about those people who are possibly underground. Yeah. Who are quite possibly the, the, the heroes of Haiti if they can get a voice. Yes, I, I, I believe that, you know, <laughs> there is an underground church even though there is no oppression, political oppression, but we're still on the ground because, you know, they don't know about us. My cry is, you know, those people, that sector is crying. They're saying, we have something to say. We have lived out some experiences that we would want to share with those who come to help us rebuild the country. But poor, poor folks, they are not invited to those meetings where the decisions are being made. The decision makers don't know anything about them. So that's why I'm saying they are being overlooked. Therefore, even I, I remember, you know, Francois Duvalier, you know, uh, in an interview he gave to some uh, journalists who were sent by Washington to talk to him. Francois Duvalier was the father of baby duck of Jean-Claude Duvalier. And even at that time, I remember uh, watching him talking to that journalist, and he said, you know what, if I am still in power, it's because of the real Haitians. And he said, the real Haitians are not part of the military. They are not part of those 10% who own the 90% of the wealth of the country. Those people, they don't have a voice, but I'm in contact with them somehow, and they are the ones keeping me in power. They are the true Haiti, the real Haiti. And these people, and I'm sorry to interrupt, Pastor Morissette, they, like the indigenous populations of the Amazon of South America, 
would I be correct in saying that those people that you are referring to are probably closer to the soil, closer to the earth, closer to God, closer to the vibrations of our world, and they are the ones who should be given that voice more than anybody else, even though you may look at them and see them as a very poor community, very inarticulate community, but they perhaps have more of the key to open this door to change Haiti than anybody else in Haiti today? My friend, that's that's the, that's the cry of my heart. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, if you, a young man with moral, goes to a place, a country, or a city to find himself a girl to marry, I don't think he would go to the public places to find those, you know, who have those cologne and everything, you know, shiny faces, uh, he wouldn't trust them. But I think that the mistake the world is making, those who are really, you know, uh, catching the attention of the world, talking, uh, they are not in the homes, you know, really doing things, getting things done. They are out there just giving, making a show. And I, it's, I'm fed up with that. It's time for Haiti to be represented by real Haitians inside of Haiti and outside of Haiti. And I think that's what's about to happen with the decentralization we're talking about. Many people think we're talking about something that the government is going to bring to us, something that will happen someday. I'm talking about something that's happening right now. There are two Haitis. There is one that is in the press, that is in the National Palace, people are talking about it. And there is another Haiti that is really striving, that is really trying to make a difference. And when you go to those two places, you will feel the difference. If you happen to go to Haiti someday, and I hope it's in the near future, look at both worlds. Stop in Port-au-Prince. We'll make you a visit to everybody you want to visit to. But then let us take you outside of Port-au-Prince, and you will see the difference. Well, I am... uh consider myself as a humanitarian and a, and a historian, Pastor Morissette, and certainly not a journalist, and I would certainly take up that challenge. Um, I, for myself, would enjoy doing that. I understand in my work that it's people at grassroot level who are closer to the earth now in our evolving world that have much more impact upon where we go as civilizations, as communities, than others who are currently sitting in parliament as a politician or or who are in the military or, or any other area. It is going to be back to the indigenous tribes who actually feel the earth and feel where everything is going and are going to become the heroes, to my mind, who will change countries like Haiti. I see you understand it. Well, Pastor Michelle Morissette, thank you very much for your time today. I would certainly take up invitation of visiting Haiti anytime soon, possibly to listen to those very people that you have cited today as being the future of your country. Thank you for your time. And thank you to our listeners today. I hope that you have enjoyed this program as much as I have. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. 
This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com.